Uh, today we are going to uh, wrap up, if you will, uh, Advent season. We're really only aiming to do three messages of the Westminster Wonderland, the confessional uh, Christmas, as we called it, living our theology of Christmas. But I did find one more today that I would love for us to consider and contemplate, and that is uh, Westminster question number 42. It, it won't be on the board uh, for you this morning, and we'll look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20 as well in, in just a moment. But uh, as I've said each of the weeks that we've gone through this short series, our desire is to enrich our understanding of who Christ is and what he's done for us by delving into these uh, rich historical uh, writings about our beliefs and about our faith. And the catechisms are uh, those. They're not perfect. They're human, man-made documents. The Bible is divine and inspired and inerrant. Uh, but these documents give us a good and deeper understanding in many ways and help fill in some gaps in our own thoughts and our own limitations in the particular time and history that we live. So Question 42 is a simpler one, I think, than the other ones we've looked at in the past few weeks. I'll just read it to you, and you can sort of begin to chew on it, and then I'll read a passage, and we'll pray and uh, share a few thoughts uh, about that. I won't keep us here a really long time today. I will mention, too, before I read that section, uh, By Faith Magazine's the newest uh, one, a quarterly are in, and if you're looking for something to read, I know over the next week or two, some folks are off of work, probably have a little more casual time uh, back on the info table or copies of that. If you don't get it uh, at your house uh, delivered, it's a free uh, magazine you can receive, but you might want to pick up a copy. And then Derek already mentioned the uh, Heidelberg Catechism book, uh, Star Mead for the new year, just as a reminder, as the little yellow sheet indicates. So on January 8th, we'll start that with the reading of the question for that subsequent week uh, in the worship service. That'll be part of our worship service each week. One of the questions, some weeks have two week, two questions. Most weeks have two questions. And uh, so we'll begin the week with the question that we're going to look at and dive into throughout the following week. Does that make sense? So you're, you're not preparing in advance for January 8th. January 8th, we're going to read the question. And then that next week after is when you'll unpack it individually with your family, however you want to, to go through that book. So uh, question 42, why was our mediator called Christ? Why was our mediator called Christ? And if we know anything about that term Christ, you know, we saw last night that uh, he, his name shall be called Emmanuel. We know Jesus has several names and references that are given uh, to him. Of course, we read some of them from the Isaiah passage we've used as a call to worship, mighty counselor, all of those things. But certainly we know that he's called Christ. And we usually just think of that as like, you know, two names, like I'm Chris Peters and he's, you know, Jesus Christ, his first name and last name. But really his names have reference, of course, to who he is and what he accomplished. And Christ is his anointed nature, the, the designated, specified, identified nature that God gives him for his purpose. So why was our mediator called Christ? And then the answer is this, because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure, and so set apart and fully furnished with all authority and ability to execute the office of prophet, priest, and king of his church, both in his state of humiliation and exaltation. 
And let me read that for you one more time. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure and so set apart, furnished with all authority and ability to execute the office of prophet, priest, and king, both in his state of humiliation, his lowering, and in his exaltation, his uplifting. And Matthew chapter 18, or 28, I'm sorry, verse 18, I thought would be a helpful passage for us to frame up these ideas today. Uh, these things are right after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And in fact, the very last verses in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 18 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we praise you this day in particular for our mediator, that we have one that is a go-between, that is a resolver of differences and a reconciler between us and you. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus was the anointed one, the specially designated and identified and specified one with all authority and ability, and that he fulfills that role as prophet, as priest, and as king, both in his lowering and in his exalting. We ask, Lord, today that you refresh our hearts with what that means for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, recently I had a chance to watch a, a movie that, with my family and some friends that we hadn't seen, I don't think, since the 90s when it came out. Maybe we've seen it one or two times since then. And you may have not have even seen it because it was sort of a, uh, I don't know, you call it cult classic. It was a little niche of people that I think enjoyed the particular humor, humor in it. Waking Ned Divine. Not to be confused with uh, the one about Bernie, this was Waking Ned Divine. It's set in a, uh, an Irish uh, community, a little village of only about 50 people on the Isle of Man. And it has a really intriguing and humorous plot. There's a little bit of dark comedy, I suppose, uh, to it because of the, the issue of death that's present in it. But the town loves to play the lottery. They love to play the lottery, and everyone in England and Britain is hoping that they'll win the lottery, and the jackpot has been accumulating. Uh, all the characters that you're introduced at the beginning are waiting by their TV to see the numbers come across the screen to see if they got the big uh, jackpot. And uh, they realize at some point, uh, two of the gentlemen, Michael and Jackie, uh, two elderly gentlemen, realize that their county which only has this one city of 50 people is where the winning ticket must have been none of them won they didn't win but they realized through some information that it's in their county and so ensues the endeavor to try to figure out who in their community won it and they have everybody that they know of that they find out who bought tickets at the post office and they have everybody they think over for dinner and their whole idea is to schmooze and get to know the one who's won the big money so that maybe they can get a little bit of the you know a little bit of the love from whoever wins it 
they get to the end of their dinner and they're discouraged because they haven't, they fished around comments here and there to see, hey, did somebody win it and just hasn't said that they've won it yet? One guy's missing, Ned Devine. Well, Ned is very elderly gentleman, and so overnight they make their way over to Ned's house. And Ned is there in his chair in front of his TV, deceased, having his ticket in his hand and having been apparently overcome <laughs> by the excitement of having won the prize. Well, you can kind of see where this is going probably already. Jackie and Michael figure out that if one of them can successfully impersonate Ned, who will know off in London when they send the officials to investigate? And as they perpetrate this plot, this scandal, they also discover that the jackpot is not just 600 or 700,000 pounds. The jackpot's six and a half million dollars. But along the way, the investigator that comes, and one of them, Michael, impersonating Ned, uh, pretending that he's still alive, nobody's reported the death of Ned, uh, says that he's going to come back in a few days, and he, the investigator is going to need to verify that, in fact, Michael is Ned. So now they can't pull this scheme off just the two of them. They've got to get everybody in the town, all 50 people, together on the deal. And indeed, they're able eventually to successfully do that, concluding with a funeral service that they are having for Ned on a day they think is one day ahead of when the investigators come back. And in fact, the investigator arrives on the day when they're having the funeral for their friend Ned. Well, it's a, a humorous comedy. You'll enjoy watching it if you want to with some uh, definitely Irish uh, wit and so forth woven into it. I, I thought it was interesting today if such a movie can be used in this way. I think it can. I think it's actually part of the design of the movie that Ned is a sort of Christ figure in the story, right? Ned is in a pretty humble and lowly situation in his little cottage along the ocean front. And he's, let's call it what it is, he's passed away just in his recliner, in his chair there. No family, no extended family around him. Nobody else that would verify or could take on the money that he's won. And yet, in his humility, he has secured this incredible jackpot that he's going to be able to share with the entire community. Every single one of them is going to become, in, you know, in their estimations, fairly rich, even if you divide that number up among this small little village. So I thought about it as we looked at our uh, passage today from Matthew and this idea from the catechism of Christ in his humiliation and in his exaltation fulfilling the role that he needs to fulfill for us and the way that he pours out manifold blessing. He who was rich, we know, became poor. And for our sakes, we then who are poor might become spiritually rich. Well, look at a couple of things that uh, this catechism references and the scriptures talk about. It says that he's anointed uh, with the Holy Spirit beyond measure. So you, you can't quantify it. And you and I hopefully are filled with the Holy Spirit as believers. 
and have received the Holy Spirit, are marked with the Holy Spirit, are guaranteed with the Holy Spirit, and we can be, I think, anointed with the Holy Spirit for tasks that he calls us to, but none of us is the Holy Spirit beyond measure. What, a, what a, an amount that's described uh, there. And I'm not just making this up in connection with Christmas. If you page, just go one page further in your Bible from where all the Christmas narratives we've just read the last few days end, the very next thing, do you know what it is? It's Jesus coming to be baptized by John, and you know the phrase that is shared there, that Jesus Christ was baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. It describes him even as the Lamb of God in certain places. So in the scriptures, Christmas moves right into anointing with the Holy Spirit for the Savior. And so in the Bible, somebody's anointed. It's not just for their own enjoyment or privilege any more than your salvation or my salvation should be just for our own privilege, right? Our salvation should transform us so that we're a blessing. We enrich our family. We enrich our church. We enrich our community. We enrich our school. We bring blessing to others. So you have this anointing that's on Christ that he's given uh, right after in the Bible story. Of course, it's years later, 30-some years later in time, but it's right after in the accounts of the Bible. And it's interesting here, too, it says that he was furnished with all authority and ability. I think that's pretty interesting because when we think about uh, our earthly rulers, oftentimes the earthly rulers that we live under and experience governmental rulers or maybe a boss or authority at work, uh, oftentimes people have authority. They have the role and the, the title, especially we would think of government probably, but they don't always have the ability we would like for them to have, right? And we all know people, and maybe you're one of those people, we say, man, so-and-so should really run for office. She, she is a solid lady. Uh, he is a solid guy who could really lead us well. And they have the ability and maybe the character to do it, but they don't have the authority, right? They don't have the role. They're not in the place of authority. And it's awesome to realize that Jesus brings together both full ability, character, all of the qualifications we would want in a leader, and, of course, is given the role by the Lord. So he's anointed, he's given all authority, and then he plays this out. We're just going to take a few moments to, to touch on this. Uh, he plays this out in the sphere of being prophet, priest, and king. And I, that may be a, something you think about every single day. You, you, that's a regular part of your understanding of who Jesus is. I'm relating to Jesus today. I'm I'm living in relationship with him, and he's prophet, he's priest, and he's king in my life. So that, that may be a, a regular framework paradigm that you've got, or that may be a, a brand new thing. You, you've never really thought about how Jesus fulfills those categories of prophet, priest, and king. What I thought was most interesting about this catechism question, and of course I read the, the passage from 
uh, from Matthew where it describes Jesus having all authority and deploying us to be disciples, that he's with us always as well. I don't think it's hard for us to understand how Jesus fulfills prophet, priest, and king in his exaltation, right? In now, as he's existing uh, with God the Father at his right hand, we get that. He's ruling. He's king. Okay. Understand that. He's got full authority. He's resurrected. He's ascended. Uh, prophet, we, anything that he says, especially you read the book of Revelation, the words of Christ, what he declares, we know certainly in his exalted state, he's, he's proclaiming truth and proclaiming God's word. And then most of all, we, we recognize as believers who know our fallenness that he's a, he's a priest. He's a prophet, priest, and king. He's a priest who's always living to intercede for us. Right? So we, we kind of get that, I think, in his exaltation. I thought it was really interesting. Maybe it was just a pastoral uh, pondering, if you will. I thought it was interesting that the catechism says that he fulfills these things in his state of humiliation as well. And that word humiliation, again, we, we looked at it last week in our Sunday message. It just means in his humble situation. For Jesus, that's just the reality that he's, he's incarnate. He's in a, a human body, his human limitations because of that. He chooses to limit himself that way. He comes particularly, obviously, to a poor family. He comes into a situation, and then his humiliation is going to reach its pinnacle, if you will, on the cross. Of course, we know Christmas is leading to the cross, and he's going to uh, be mocked, and he's going to be spit upon, and he's going to be made fun of in every way. Uh, and he's going to be at the hands of others who he has full power, right? Because he's got all authority and ability. He has full power to take over the situation, but he's not going to do that. It, it's very humbling you know, to allow yourself to suffer what he suffered when he could have overridden it. And so that you, you think about that on a number of different levels, but it, it's humiliating, right? He doesn't deserve to be treated by that. It's not just that he's... Uh, giving up the power that he could take the strength and could save himself, like he doesn't have to suffer, but it's also very humiliating to, to be the king of kings and to endure all of that, right? So we get, we get some of that. And so I just want to say a few words about that today. When we think about Jesus being the prophet and particularly the fulfillment of Christmas and why he came, we all know he came fully God, fully man, so that he could be a substitute for you and me. So he, he fits with us, aligns with us. He could take our place, receive the judgment that we deserve. And then we know that he came fully God so that he can live the righteous life that we can't live. And so God can be delighted in us. So it's interesting if you think about the words that he says as prophet. Just think about his state of humiliation as prophet. Jesus says, at the cross, you can think of them probably yourself. What are some of the things he says? He speaks. It is finished. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Probably a few other things we could bring up from that. Now, Father, forgive them, he speaks. And so I, I want you to have a Merry Christmas, wish you a Merry Christmas from the reality of Jesus as prophet today. 
because we know that Jesus speaks to us and he speaks prophetically, he speaks truthfully. Uh, some of you have probably seen these charts where you're supposed to be able to identify your sort of chosen uh, news network and, and it's on a chart with every like 20 different news websites and TV stations and this one's a bit more conservative, this one's more liberal, and this one's, you know, all of this stuff and it's meant to kind of help you identify. Well, why is that? Because there's bias in every single thing that we hear. Right? And we, we know that. What a beautiful thing that there is no bias in this, right? It speaks to us what we need to hear. It speaks to us loving words. It speaks to us convicting words. Jesus is prophet. I thought about it this way, too. Uh, maybe sometimes you've been in this mode with other people that you're around. Maybe sometimes you've received this from other loved ones. Uh, when you disappoint each other or let each other down, you, you sometimes have the silent treatment or you give the silent treatment to the other person. And that's not just, hey, I got to get over emotionally, the sadness or whatever. It's, you know, it's intentional. I'm going silent because I want to be silent. I want to be disconnected. Isn't it amazing that Jesus never gives us the silent treatment? He's always prophet. He's always proclaiming again and again, you are forgiven. You are loved. You are cherished. I delight in you. And of course, his birth and coming into the world is the way that he achieves that. Second thing we see is that he's priest. He's priest. Uh, you don't need to turn there, but you can if you want. Hebrews chapter 4 has two different passages. It wasn't that long ago that we did a, a series in the book of Hebrews, so perhaps you remember these uh, verses. Hebrews 4, uh, verse 14, Since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. So it's telling us what's been done for us, and then this is a real clear passage that tells us what we should do. So you being here, you may not even thought about it. Some of you kids, mom and dad just said, hey, we're going to church today, we're going to do it. This is, you're holding fast to your confession, I, I hope, I think, by being here. You're saying, I'm holding fast to what I believe as a core thing. And this last month, we've all been assaulted by consumerism, consumerism, consumerism. All you are is a consumer unit, and we've all been fighting, I bet, to be a son or a daughter of God in Christ. That that's my identity. That's who I am. I'm not merely a consumer and enjoyer of material products as wonderful as those things are for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need right isn't that a great gift when we look at the law of God and we see how far short you and I fall of Loving God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. Don't even come close to it on even my best day. And loving my neighbor as myself, that Jesus Christ does those perfectly so we can draw near. So Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, I hope you're nice, but biblically we're all naughty. We're all fallen in that sense. And what a blessing that we can draw near because of what Christ has done. Merry Christmas. Jesus is your priest. He is your prophet. And lastly, 
we've already read several times, I won't turn to them again, from Isaiah, the passages that declare Jesus' governing and ruling authority that he is a king of kings and Lord of lords. You know, it is a um, challenging thing for us every day as prideful, sinful people to live and surrender to King Jesus. But I don't know if, you're, if God's given you some, some ability to appreciate this and really value this. It is a beautiful thing to have somebody who rules and reigns over our lives, right? To have direction and somebody who tells us where to go and not have to find our own way through life or define who we are by ourselves, to have that given to us. It's good to have, and we, I know the disposition of probably many in our church. We have an inclination against authority and six semper tyrannis and all of those things. It's not true of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's a good king, and we need somebody to rule over us and direct us. So Merry Christmas today, people of God. Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. He's all these things, both in his humiliation and in his exaltation for you and me. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we're so thankful for uh, your word, and we're thankful as well for these catechism questions we've looked at the last few weeks, which enrich our understanding of things that you tell us and you want us to embrace. And so, Lord, on this Christmas day, help us to walk out of here and, as it were, to unpack this gift uh, more fully and discover there's more features to the gift we received, uh, that Jesus is certainly Savior and Lord, but he accomplishes that through these offices of prophet, priest, and king. And may that, Lord, become for us a refreshing paradigm for understanding all the grace that you've shown us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.